This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Hello and welcome to the Girl Fit Method podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Wakefield, and I am here to help you take charge of your health, get empowered, and ultimately become the best version of yourself. Let's go. Welcome back to the Girl Fit Method podcast. So on today's episode, I have a very special guest. I have with me the incredible coach Vanessa. Hello. Hi, how are you? Very good. So excited to have you on. It's your very first time on here. Is this your first podcast? This is my first podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be good. We are going to be busting some myths and answering your questions today. But first of all, I want you to introduce yourself to everyone. So just let us know a little bit about you, um, why you got into training in the first place and what made you want to become a coach? Yeah, so I, my name is Vanessa. I'm 21. I am a college student full-time and I go to University of Connecticut and I'm studying allied health at the moment and I graduate this year I'm so excited to finally be done with school and the reason that I initially got into PT and coaching was just because there's so much information out there in the fitness industry and it's so hard to navigate what's right and what's wrong and I was kind of just sick of spinning my own wheels so I kind of decided to educate myself further in order to help myself see the results that I wanted and I educated myself through podcasts, I got my PT and my PT certification and things just escalated and I absolutely love what I do so, so, so much. I love being a coach and I love helping girls get the results they want and not have to restrict their diet and they can love working out and it's just like the most rewarding job in the whole world, so. And you, can I just say, are an incredible coach. (laughs) (laughs) honestly amazing you have the ability to be able to communicate with our girls so well around dispelling myths and I guess what's really important is being able to communicate in a way where people can grasp it because there is a lot of like I guess jargon when it comes to nutrition Mm -hmm. and training that can feel can sound really confusing and being able to communicate that effectively um, is really important and all the girls absolutely love you like you're incredible I love them back. So it's, it's great. So much love going on. <laughs> uh, we love you. So we're super excited to get stuck into some questions. So should we start? Let's do it. I'm excited. So, so very first question. Why? Oh, sorry. I am eating at maintenance, but why am I still hungry? All right. Do you want to, do you want to, answer that question first. (laughs) Sure. Okay. So if you're eating at maintenance and you're still hungry for the most part, it's likely a deficit for you, depending on what your activity is like, your genetics are like all that kind of stuff. You're likely just not eating enough to support your activity for that day. And if you're reverse dieting at that point, it's likely you're going to be pretty hungry. Reverse dieting, you're going to be hungry. Your metabolism up is up regulating and it's likely you're just going to be a little bit hungrier. So with that, if you're hungry, just slowly increasing your calories is going to really, really help you in terms of strength, energy, all that kind of stuff is really going to benefit you. Yeah. Bang on. And I think people think like at maintenance calories, it's a set 
like is an actual set calorie amount. Yeah, so, that's huge. Yeah, but you need to understand that your maintenance calories are more so a range, right? So depending on the day, if you've had a really active day, you know, you potentially could have burnt more calories that day. And so your range may be, you know, for that particular day, a little bit higher than it was, say, the day before. So I always say like fluctuate really a couple of hundred calories. Seriously, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's something to keep in mind. And I think just to add on to that would be, there are so many different things that can impact hunger levels. So hormones, you know, depending on where mm-hmm. you're at in the cycle, also sleep, not getting enough sleep as well will absolutely increase your um, hunger hormones as well. Um, and then stress as well. That's another thing. If your cortisol levels are high, you're going to feel more hungry. So there's a whole bunch of things um, that could be really at play here. Also, just to add on, yeah. is the modality of training. So for myself as well, I know that if I do a lot of endurance work, a lot of um, in the past and I've done more cardio or more high-intensity training, that also can make you a lot more hungry during the day because um, you've just done some intense, intense exercise and your body's kind of like, oh, give me all the food. <laughs> Same. Like when I hit legs, I'm definitely a little bit hungrier than I would be if I was hitting like shoulders. It's definitely a higher intensity thing. And being hungry is not necessarily a bad thing, right? So yeah. Yeah. And I think there's like strategies around that. So just making sure that you're hitting your protein targets, you're eating enough protein, that's going to help you stay satiated. And then making choices with nutrition and your food that are, that are, you know, smart. So when we think about um, creating a meal, if you're going for a very calorie dense meal, but that might not have a huge amount of volume, then, you know, it might be worth kind of planning ahead and including foods that are higher in fiber um, and high, like a, a larger volume. So you, by volume foods, I mean foods that um, you can eat a lot for a small amount of calories, right? And that's going to help fill you up. So that's another little tip that you can use as well. But I think we've answered that question. Should we move on to question number two? Yes. All right. So stopped running and started walking and weightlifting. Why am I starving all the time? <laughs> uh, all right you go Vanessa all right so for this one so initially when you're starting to lift weights your body's going to respond to that new stimulus which is weightlifting, building muscle and building muscle is very hard to build and it takes a lot of energy it takes a lot of calories so if you've gone from running um to weightlifting and walking a little bit more you're likely increasing your muscle mass which is going to increase your um caloric needs, which in turn makes you a little bit hungrier. So it definitely makes sense that you are a little bit hungrier when you start lifting weights. Um, yeah, definitely makes sense. So if you are hungrier, I would, again, just start reverse dieting, start figuring out what you're eating at that point. And then from there increasing over time is going to help with that hunger. And yeah, yeah, I bang on, I can't really add to that. It's, uh, we hear this a lot from our girls that they feel really hungry once they start lifting weights and I think initially, like you said, because it's a new stimulus on the body, the body's not used to it. And so it's, you know, it's trying to now um, respond to the signal that you're sending to the body to build muscle, right? And like you said, muscle is an expensive tissue, requires energy. And, and especially when we're trying to build muscle, it takes a lot of energy. So there's a really good chance that you're in actually a really great spot. Your body's building muscle, um, which is exactly where you want to be. And then, you know, your BMR, your basal metabolic rate, which makes up, you know, your metabolism is going to increase, right? So now your maintenance potentially is is higher. So 
I would just monitor your weight and see what's happening. If you are staying the same weight um, and you're still really hungry, I would look at starting to increase your calories and see if you can get your push up your maintenance calories even higher. For sure. Yeah. All right. Next question. Does stopping workouts for two weeks cause any kind of fat gain? Well, <laughs> who's going to go first with this one? All right, I'll start. I'll start. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 go ahead. So let's figure out how you gain fat. So how do you gain one pound of fat? One pound of fat is gained when you consume 3,500 calories above your maintenance calories, right? So that's half a pound. No, sorry, that's one pound. That's one pound. (laughs) My apologies. It usually works out to half, it's half a kilo. That's why I get confused. So um, about one pound. Now, fat gain only occurs when you are eating in a calorie surplus. So if you stop working out for two weeks, but you are eating at your maintenance calories, then there's no way that you'll gain fat. So there's no real correlation between working out, not working out and gaining fat, unless the fact that you're not working out means that you're not expending as much energy. And if you're eating at a point where your maintenance calories is taking into consideration your exercise, then when you take away that exercise, absolutely, there's the possibility that you could potentially be eating in a calorie surplus. However, two weeks is nothing. And really in order to gain fat, you need to be eating in a surplus for a much longer period of time than two weeks. Um, What do you reckon? You killed it, honestly. (laughs) And I think too, for the most part, like when you are out of the week, out of the gym for whatever reason, the one thing you can control is your nutrition. So whether it's an injury or whether it is whatever it is, um, when you're able to control your nutrition and keep in mind how much you're eating, you're definitely not going to be losing any progress. And honestly, you can even make further progress outside of the gym through nutrition if you're still being methodical with it and how you're handling things. Absolutely. I mean, you can lose fat and lose weight not exercising. Not that oh, we, we don't condone that, but <laughs> absolutely can. So yeah, two weeks is fine. If you're going away on holidays or something like that, or you're you're just really busy for the next two weeks, don't feel guilty, don't stress, just eat sensibly, um, eat at your maintenance calories and then get back to it when you can. Okay, next question. Working out on your period, what are our tips? All right. Well, I guess everyone's (laughs) different, aren't they? Like some people feel terrible on their period. Some people don't feel too bad. Mm. Um, So I guess you really need to gauge how your body is feeling. So for a lot of people, they do feel really lethargic and tired and weak. And if that's you, I would suggest taking a bit of a deload that week. So it's really important to implement deloads into your training. So if you're training really hard, having regular deloads is a really good idea anyway. Um, And that's just pulling back generally the volume um, of training that you're doing. So the amount of sets and reps that you're doing and potentially the intensity. So maybe dropping back the weight that you would usually use um, just to give your body a little bit of a break. And then, you know, we will, we'll usually implement that uh, for a week and then you'll get back to it, which can really like um, work out quite nicely with how long your period goes for. So I think it's about listening to your body and understanding that it's okay if you need to take some time away, especially if you suffer from like endometriosis or you have 
um, PCOS and that potentially could mean you have very painful periods, then it might just mean that you just take a break for, you know, three to four days. Um, what do you think, Vanessa? Yes, 100%. I love your recommendation of kind of pulling back training a little bit when you know your cycle's coming. It's something I actually do for some clients where we know that their cycle's coming and they get fatigue, all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay, let's train to the best of your ability. If you're a little weaker, expect that. And maybe we're not pushing as hard. We're not pushing as many sets, all that kind of stuff, but we're still getting training and we're still moving. We're still active. Um, it's something I approach. I like to do because I still want my girls to be active throughout the day. But if their period is, you know, almost crippling, of course, we're not going to be pushing, but when you can push yourself to the gym and still do what you have to do, I think it's definitely helpful. So yeah. And I think like just not putting the expectation on yourself that you need to kill it at every gym session. Like it's okay. Exactly. You're going to have times when you just don't feel like you've got the energy and that's cool. Like what the most important thing is consistency over time. So just being consistent as, as consistent as you possibly can, but not feeling like you need to absolutely annihilate yourself to have had a good workout or for it to be effective. Right. Yeah. Because those three or four days before your cycle or on your cycle in the grand scheme of the whole month, it's like almost nothing, right? Like you're consistent day over day for the whole month, but the two or three or four days that you're on your cycle, you don't go to the gym. It's okay. Right. Like it's yeah. totally fine. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to lose progress in those few days. It's going to be no time. It'll be great, honestly, because you'll feel recovered and rested yeah. and all that good stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So next question, can you talk about accelerated days and explain a little more information around it? So I'm assuming accelerated days are referring to when we look at calorie cycling and you have days where you eat. So you would have, you know, for example, you would, your maintenance calories were 1800. And what you did is you worked out your week where you would be eating an additional amount of calories on a certain day, and then maybe eating a little less, but however, over the the span of a week, that would still average out to 1800 per day, right? And people use this for different reasons. So calorie cycling can be used in particular with athletes or people that just like to train hard and they know if they're going to have a really hard training session, they might eat a bit more the day before or even on the day. Um, And so, look, it can be a helpful tool. What I find with the general population, so women that are just wanting to improve their physique, get strong, is that sometimes having that inconsistency of having high days and low days can sometimes make things harder for you. Or the other thing is, is I see some girls cutting their calories too much and then getting really hungry and that triggering potential binges and things like that. However, it is a strategy we do use with our girls Um, in particular girls, not really more so around training, but more, around if you're going out on weekends and eating out so a lot of our girls do eat out a lot and so we say okay you know if you want to have more calories in your budget to play with on the weekends then just reduce your calories slightly potentially during the week and you've got a bit more to play with on the weekend however you know I don't particularly feel like it's incredibly necessary um, unless you're kind of at more so an elite level would you agree Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't think it's by any means necessary. Again, like what you said, I use it for clients when they're going out on the weekends or they have a lot of social events and it's not going to be maybe as easy to track. So we'll kind of increase calories for those 
that Saturday, Sunday, whatever it may be, and then slightly decrease Monday through Friday. And that seems to work really well for some clients. Some clients, not so much. They'd rather just have that consistency week or day over day. And I totally understand that because I'm that way myself. So I 100% agree. I definitely don't think they're necessary, but I do think they can be helpful um, in certain phases, especially when you're dieting, having those higher increases of food that are refeeds. Um, those are really awesome to help with energy and training and all that kind of stuff that dieting may decrease slightly. Yeah, that's like a really good point. But I guess like refeeds are a whole different thing, right? Like that's yeah, just that's thing, yeah. calories. But I think when you are in a deficit, especially if you've got events coming up and things like that, then they can be helpful. Um, I guess it just depends on, yeah, what your training looks like and and really whether you need them, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Not necessary, but they can be a helpful tool. Um, All right. So next question. If your goal is to achieve a toned physique and lose two to four kilos of fat, should you be eating in a surplus first before going into a fat loss phase to lose the fat? So this person is wanting to tone their physique. So they want to build muscle because that's how we look toned and then be able to lose the fat to show off that muscle, which gives you once again, that toned look. So should she be eating in a surplus first before going into a fat loss phase? Do you want to go Vanessa? Yeah, sure, sure. I was going to say, honestly, if she is newer to weight training, all that kind of stuff, I think she can get away with eating at maintenance, building muscle and losing fat at the same time and experience body recomposition. I think that's going to be your best bet rather than being strict in a surplus, strict in a deficit, because a lot of progress can be made at maintenance. And I think it's a lot of times undervalued. Um, so I think if she was to eat at maintenance, get enough protein in, get enough calories in to support her training, she could build that muscle and sim- simultaneously lose that fat. And she'd be really, really impressed with what happens at maintenance. Absolutely. Uh, bang on. That's the beauty of being a beginner is that you're in that sweet spot where you have the potential to actually build muscle and lose fat. Nobody else can do that. So you're, if you're in that position, like don't worry about eating in a surplus, just I would, yeah. I, I mean, we always get our girls really initially to be eating at maintenance anyway when they first start with us. We don't put them straight into a deficit because you can actually get some really great results eating at maintenance. And we want to reserve going into a fat loss phase for when, you know, weight loss plateaus um so look i actually know this client (laughs) so they're they're not actually a client they're well they actually they are a client they had a consultation with me um so okay let's let's say if they weren't a beginner so if they were not incredibly experienced but maybe like intermediate and what i would say if you're wanting to lose some fat it goes down to that cycle right and i have made this post and it was actually my last um podcast episode i touched on this about the cycle of being able to build your goal physique so what you want to do is you want to start with a nice strong metabolism and that may need you to to go into a reverse diet or eat at maintenance for a good amount of time does not like you said vanessa require you to eat in a surplus surplus can be very helpful don't get me wrong but if you're already feeling uncomfortable in your body like you want to lose fat then you don't need to be eating in a surplus stay at your maintenance calories for a good amount of time work on building muscle and then go into a deficit so her question was do you need to be in a surplus and i guess we would both say no 
you just need to be eating at your maintenance calories. But if you feel comfortable and you're happy to go in a surplus, obviously that's a really great idea as well. Yeah, I agree. It kind of just depends on how much you want to maximize your time because a surplus can kind of maximize your time a little bit if you're trying to build muscle at a certain rate. Um, to go along with that, a surplus doesn't need to be a 500 calorie surplus, right? Like even like a two to 300 calorie surplus is going to be beneficial for you if you did want to do a surplus. But again, maintenance is a great tool and it's something that should be used, I think, more often than it is. Absolutely. Totally agree. Okay. So if you are gaining fat, can that be determined from weight measurement? Uh, Sorry, let me start that again. (laughs) If you are gaining fat, can that be determined from waist measurements? Or if you gain fat, uh, okay, well, let's just answer that and then I'll get to the second part of this question. So if you're gaining fat, can that be determined by your waist measurements? So will they go up if you're gaining fat? I guess the quick answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and then the second part of that is, I'm just trying to reword it a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I, because the next part of the question says, or if you gain fat, you must in turn see your waist measurements go up. So I think she's saying, and then she said, or could you gain fat by your waist? Well, look, I would put it this way. If you are seeing consistent um, increases in your measurements around your waist, it's a really good chance you're gaining fat. Um, Unless you're having some digestive issues and that can happen if you're bloated, um, that can sometimes not be a, uh, I guess, a clear indication of what's going on there. But you will know, like you'll know the difference. Usually people aren't chronically bloated unless they've, you know, got some digestive issues. Yeah. If it's all of a sudden you're seeing increases and your digestion feels fine, then potentially you're gaining fat. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to add to that? Agree. And I would just say that like measurements everywhere else would be more so building muscle. Like when you see your arms increasing and your glutes increasing, that's more likely going to be muscle rather than fat. So just something to keep in mind. Yes. That's a good point. That's actually what she says. So she says staying the same and other Staying the same and other parts increasing measurements like your bum or thighs. That's exactly yeah. right. So, yeah. and we see that a lot with our girls and they freak out when they see their, you know, their hips, their hip measurement going up. And yeah. what's really important is that when you're building muscle and you're seeing your measurements increase, it's not like when you are gaining fat and your measurements increase. All that's happening is if you think about things getting a little bit perkier, right? So with your hips, your if you're if you're decreasing your fat but you're building muscle what that's going to mean is it's not like you're now and your waist and your measurements so your hip measurements are increasing it's not as if now you're looking so much bigger down below what's happening is is your glutes are lifting right things are looking a lot perkier and a lot nicer and so if they're sitting up a little bit higher your measurements are going to go up that doesn't mean that you're actually getting bigger that's a great point. Wow. Yeah. And um, because I think, I mean, waist is a big one. My girls worry about their waist measurements. Fair enough. And I think that's a really good indication of fat gain or fat loss. However, mm-hmm. hips always, generally always, always, always will go up with girls. Yep. And that freaks them out. They think, oh my gosh, I want to lose weight around my hips. What is going on? This is making me bulky and get bigger. 
And it's like, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> you want to have a saggy bum, like, because you keep doing cardio and maybe your measurements will be like a centimeter or two down, but you're not going to look anywhere as good. Yep. Agree. A hundred percent. Such a good point. It's all about the booty guys. Seriously. We love the booty games. We love the booty. <laughs> I think that answers that question. Cool. Next one in muscle building phase. What is the ideal number of exercises for a session? And P, oh, oh, that's, I'll read the next part of it next. (laughs) The best number of exercises for a session. Well, look, really, you shouldn't be exceeding. I always program, you know, anywhere between five to seven exercises generally, right? So lower body, usually five is great. So we want to always start our training programs with compound lifts. So they are the lifts that that really have to recruit um, the larger muscle groups in our body and several muscle groups in our body. So those exercises look like squats, your deadlifts, your overhead press, bent over row. Um, what am I missing? Chest press, barbell chest press. Anything else? Shoulder press. Is Shoulder press. Thing. Yeah, well, over, that's overhead press. Yeah. Overhead, yeah. Um, I think we've got them all. They're your main big bang for your buck exercises and you want to be popping them straight at the beginning of your training session. And the reason is, is because... They, like I said, are going to give you the best bang for your buck in regards to muscle growth and calorie burn, but also they require more energy. So if you're going into doing those exercises, having done other isolation exercises, you're going to be quite fatigued and you're not going to be able to perform as well in those. So the way you want to structure it is you really want to look at having your compound lifts at the beginning and you really only need like two, really two to three compound lifts and after that, we want to look at auxiliary lifts and then you've got your accessory lifts as well. And, and they are more so exercises that are isolated. So, for example, on a leg day, right, you have some squats and then maybe you have a Romanian deadlift. And now you're going to go into a lying leg curl. So your lying leg curl is really isolating your hamstrings. So it's not really recruiting your quads um, or you know, maybe a little bit of your glutes, but not a lot, right? So it's just isolating that muscle. Whereas a squat is going to be using the whole part of your lower body, your core, and as well as a bit of your upper back as well. Um, I talked a lot there, Vanessa. <laughs> that was great. That was so great. I think, yeah, I think five to seven is going to be that sweet spot of exercises. I think when you start hitting, you know, like 10 or 11 or 12 exercises, Maybe going back and looking at those other exercises, you probably could have gone, you know, a little bit heavier, all that kind of stuff. And then something I also wanted to touch on, the question I know was for muscle gain. I think that it's important to know that when you're trying to gain muscle and you're trying to lose fat, training maintains the same, right? Like you're still lifting heavy weights. You're still trying to maintain or build that muscle. And I just want to touch on that really quick that you don't have to change your training depending on the phase. Absolutely. Myth that we kind of sneak in there, so. Yeah, that is a big myth that like what your workout should look like when you're trying to gain muscle as opposed to what you should be doing when you're trying to lose fat. And if you can separate that and just think the only thing really that's going to change in either a fat loss phase that you need to change in either a fat loss phase or a muscle building phase is your nutrition. That is it. You don't be changing anything else. Yeah. So 
Um, you also want to just keep in mind if you're trying to build muscle, too much exercise and too many exercises are actually going to be detrimental to that. So keeping in mind, it takes a lot of energy for the body to actually build muscle. More is not always better. So yeah, um, I think we've answered that one. All righty. So next few questions. Okay. So these are, we might just go like rapid fire with these. Sure, let's do it. There's a few that are just statements and I'm assuming they are wanting to know if these are myths. So sugar and gluten makes you fat. No, (laughs) too many calories is going to make you gain weight. (laughs) Exactly. And I think people are really scared of gluten. Look, you know, some people can't digest gluten very well. Obviously some people are allergic and have celiac disease and they should definitely not be having gluten. Sugar is demonized so much. Oh my God. Yeah so much and no like no um (laughs) sugar is actually really helpful in some ways obviously you don't want to be like just having you know coke and ice cream and a whole bunch of processed foods that are filled with um sugar obviously throughout Mm -hmm. your whole diet however you don't need to be worrying about sugar in um you know like your fruits and even like to a degree like any kind of um, processed foods as well. If you're having it, you know, in quantities that are okay, like you're not having huge amounts of it, then there's nothing you need to really worry about. So yes. Oh, 100%. Yep. Small people should eat less. So this one, technically, if you're a smaller person, you're likely not going to need the same amount of calories as, you know, a six, three, 200 pound man. <laughs> Right. So just to keep in mind that smaller people usually do need less calories, but that does not mean, you know, 1200. It means slightly less, but it means keeping in mind that you are a smaller person. And by being a smaller person, you probably do burn a little bit less calories um, within reason. Yeah. How tall are you? I'm 5'2". I'm a shorty. And you're so strong. So how much do you eat? You eat heaps. Oh, I eat a ton. How many calories? 25 to 2800 currently there you go good five five foot two vanessa and she looks incredible thank you (laughs) you don't need to be on like poverty calories eating 1500 calories if you're smaller but yeah obviously keep in mind like if you're a bigger human you're going to need more food to be able to maintain your weight than if you were smaller but that doesn't mean that you can't push your calories up Okay, so eating when not hungry means you don't need the food and it will turn to fat. This is such a good one. It's a good question. So in terms of eating when you're not hungry, so there's a bunch of reasons that hunger just might be lower. I know people that don't eat in the morning because they're not hungry, X, Y, and Z. So just because you're not hungry technically does not mean your body doesn't need that food, right? So if you're really stressed out, that could throw your hunger cues off. If you have hormonal fluctuations going on, that could throw your hunger cues off. Sleep, all this kind of stuff will throw your hunger cues off. Doesn't mean that you don't necessarily need food, right? You still need energy to perform your daily activities, to do your workouts, X, Y, and Z. So I think it's important to make sure we're getting enough calories in, even if we're not necessarily hungry, right? It doesn't mean your body doesn't need the food or it's going to turn to fat just because you're not hungry your body doesn't really necessarily work like that. That's not quite how it happens, right? So like we touched on fat gain is a longer process than a lot of people think. So in terms of hitting your calories when you're not necessarily hungry, just eating more calorically dense foods if you are really struggling with your appetite, making sure you're not 
filling yourself up on just fruits and veggies, but maybe eating bread or rice or potatoes, et cetera, to kind of get those calories in without worrying about that it's going to turn into fat because you're not necessarily hungry. It's important to eat enough to keep the muscle that you have and to reach your physique goals, depending on what they are. Perfectly said. Yeah, I think also to add on that, the biggest reason I see girls not having an appetite is because they undereat. So when you don't eat a lot of food, it doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to be hungry. You can absolutely not have an appetite. And it doesn't mean that you then are okay to be eating that little calories. No, like it's just your body's gone into that. Well, it switched off those hunger cues. It knows it's not going to get any food. So it's not going to send out that signal to say, hey, get me some more food, right? Um, So we have ghrelin and we have leptin. And ghrelin is the hormone that's released to tell us to eat. And leptin Mm -hmm. is the hormone that tells us that we're satiated and we don't need to eat anymore. And those two get absolutely messed up when we are under consuming. So don't think that just because you're not hungry, you shouldn't be eating. Um, that is definitely a big myth. Yeah. All right. Do you have to suffer during workouts to see progress or burn calories? So for workouts, um, first of all, when you're working out, you probably shouldn't be worrying about the calories you're burning. Um, your weight training sessions burn a lot less calories than you think. And your watch tells you, um, honestly, but that's not really the point of, um, weightlifting, right? Your, the point when you're weightlifting is to build muscle. So I would just not really concern yourself with how many calories you're burning in general, And then in terms of suffering, I wouldn't use such a phrase as suffering. (laughs) Um, Seems pretty intense, but I do think you should be pushing relatively hard. Obviously, you're not like dying on the gym floor, but you definitely want to be pushing yourself to elicit the changes on on your physique that you want. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think people really think that this, and I remember thinking this exactly like if I didn't feel like I felt smashed after a workout, like I was exhausted and I was sweating and um, I almost felt like vomiting, that it wasn't, didn't burn that many calories, right? Yeah. doesn't yeah. work with that. Like we've gone through, um, I've spoken about your total daily energy expenditure, your workouts make up hardly nothing of the yeah. amount of calories that you burn. So all you're doing, if you feel like you need to be exhausted after every workout is you're just going to be driving up your cortisol levels higher, which is not going to help you. So absolutely. That is a myth busted. Yes. All right. So let's go for two more questions and then we'll wrap it up. Next one is eating late at night before bed. Myth. (laughs) Yes. Nope. Nope. I agree. You do not need to worry about eating later at night. It matters what you do over a 24 hour period. Even a week, a week period um, is what your body's going to respond to. If you are having a really busy day and you have a bunch of calories to make up at night, that does not automatically equate to fat gain because it's late. Your body doesn't know what time it is, right? It knows how many calories you're eating in a given time. And that's what you need to focus on. Absolutely. So with fat loss, no, it doesn't make a difference. However, I'll just make a note that we do know that research shows us eating close to bed can disrupt our sleep um, and also our digestion. So When it comes, if you're feeling bloated all the time and you're eating a lot of food in the evenings, then like quite late in the evenings before you're going to sleep, I would recommend like really having about a two hour break before you go to sleep. So your your body has some time to digest that food. Also, side note, I find a lot of girls save up their calories for the evening and they don't eat during the day because they're scared they're going to, if they start eating more calories during the day, they're going to end up overeating and then having not enough for the evening. Yeah, I see that too. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's really common. And the issue with that is that you can end up overeating at in the evenings um, and feeling really yuck and bloated um, and having digestive issues because you're eating all at once and you're eating a lot more than what you would have if you'd just spaced out your food and actually eaten appropriately during the day. Um, yes. Just wanted to yeah, add. That's a great point. Great point. All right. So next question. Oh, there's two, there's two that I want to add in. Okay. Let's do okay. two. All right. Okay, let's do it. So why can't I lose fat on my thighs? I am already skinny. Okay. Oh, I'll go. Shall I start? Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. This one. All right. So look, when you lose fat, you can't choose where you lose fat from. Unfortunately, it comes down to genetics. So if you store more fat on your thighs, then generally the last place you're going to lose, lose that fat is your thighs. Okay. Hate to break it to you. I know it's annoying. <laughs> but so it just comes down to actually having just to lose more fat in order to get rid of um yeah the fat on your thighs unfortunately and I guess it gets to a point where you've got to think well <coughs> excuse me hold on one second <laughs> you're good you're totally oh, fine I'm talking too much <laughs> you've got to weigh up whether it requires you to cut so many calories in order to get to that point where your thighs are you know thinner than what you'd like is that sustainable for you um what do you think I also think too like what kind of are your physique goals for your legs because if you want like nice muscular legs losing a lot of fat in your legs is kind of just going to make them smaller which if you want that that's great but I do think it's important to just keep in mind what your goals are and what you're kind of looking for by losing fat in your thighs if that makes sense yeah, makes sense. Love it. <clears throat> okay. So last one, your favorite go-to healthy meals and snacks. Oh, I'm a big foodie, big foodie. I love to cook. So I could talk about this all day. <laughs> Eat us. Go for it. Okay. So breakfast, definitely overnight oats. I freaking love oatmeal so much. I eat it every single day. So I do oatmeal with Greek yogurt, berries, nut butter, and it's like my favorite meal ever. It keeps me so full. It's awesome. Um, Another really, really big one for me is sweet potato and chicken and avocado. And that one is just super, super good. Also, sweet potato and peanut butter is delicious. So try it out. Let me know what you think. I think it's great. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I'm a huge foodie, so I could literally talk about this all day. Are you? Do you like savory more than you like sweet? Actually, I love sweet. Like <gasps> I love sweet so much. Oh my god, ice cream is like my favorite thing in the whole world. God, yeah, ice cream's incredible. Oh my god, I swear I could eat it for every meal. <laughs> it's so bad. Flavor? Cookie dough, I think. Cookie dough, oh, ride or die. I reckon I have a feeling in the states, you guys just have like elite tasting ice cream. Like it's on another level. Honestly, I won't even lie. We have some great ice cream. We have some crazy flavors too. Like our grocery store, there's like an entire freezer aisle where it's just ice cream. It's like a great time. It's a great time. Oh my goodness. Yum. Yeah, I love ice cream too. I'm probably more savory, but. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Look, to be completely honest, I'm a, I'm a very boring eater. (laughs) I'm a boring eater because I've had so many I've, in the past, I've had some digestive issues and now I just know what foods work for me and what don't work for me. So I just would prefer to eat foods that I know make me feel good. Um, so my favorite go-to healthy meals, I find it really easy to do just a 
tray bake of, so I have a protein sauce, whether that is um, chicken tenderloins or I'll do chicken thighs, turkey breast, salmon, and then I will marinate that. And I have like different marinades. I'll use um, olive oil, lemon, some mint oregano is really nice with chicken. I'll do honey soy with salmon. Um, I'll do like Greek yogurt, paprika, and some curry powder is really nice. So marinate that. And then I'll just roast veggies. I love roast uh, sweet potato, pumpkin, zucchini, capsicum. Um, in America, you call them peppers, don't you? <laughs> Oh, I'm going to say, I have never heard of that in my life, but yes. <laughs> peppers, peppers. peppers yes. That's so funny. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think making your vegetables taste good. Roasting them is huge. Such, yeah. such a good way to make them flavorful. Cause if you like or boil our, all your vegetables, it's not, it's not that great. Um, so roasting them, seasoning them well, putting marinades on them, all that fun stuff is going to make them taste good. Absolutely. And I, how can I forget my goodness? The air fryer, guys. Air fryer, you know, I'm a big advocate for an air fryer. So, yes, I use the oven. However, I have lately definitely been using the air fryer for green beans. I put green beans in there, lemon juice, garlic, olive oil. Holy guacamole, guys. They are <laughs> delicious. I do that. And then I put pumpkin, sweet potato in the air fryer. They go really crispy. And then I'll put in some cinnamon. And if you can, you can also add in a little bit of sugar. I add in a little bit of stevia to sweeten it. It caramelizes. Oh, that too. oh it's so good. My air fryer is like my, the best investment of my life. Like yeah. I'm the biggest advocate. I'm going to put it on Instagram. Everyone get an air fryer. Like yes. it's great. If you walk away learning anything from this podcast, <laughs> go and buy an air fryer right now. hundred <laughs> percent. It'll change your life. Absolutely change your life. And then oh, snacks. Look, I like... Greek yogurt, I like fruit, I like nuts, popcorn, um, oh, rice cakes. I have rice cakes all the time. And then I, like, I'll have tuna on them, cottage cheese on them, avocado and tomato on them. Do you have any yeah. snacks? What's you took the word right out of my mouth. Greek yogurt, um, rice cakes is a really, really big one for me. Um, in the States, we have flavored rice cakes. Yeah. We uh, have some like bread. chocolate. Yeah. My favorite things ever. Um, I'll even have oatmeal as a snack because I love it so much. Fruit as a snack, um, things like that. Yeah. All right. I reckon that's enough suggestions. It's making me. (laughs) (laughs) We really went hard. We really went hard on the suggestions. We did. We've got plenty. All right. Well, that was so much fun. We're thinking we might do this maybe on a regular basis. We'll come on and answer some of your questions. I'm so sorry if we didn't get to your question. We will. We'll definitely do a round two. Um, Yes. So much for coming on, Vanessa. This was fun. Thank you for having me. This is great. This is so fun. It is. And um, we will definitely do these more regularly. So, guys, if you aren't already, make sure you're following and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoy this, take a screenshot of it, share it onto your stories. Um, and if you could, and if you enjoy it, leave a review. We would so appreciate that. All right. That is it from us. Big love, Coach Tash. Coach Tash.